Welcome to Tube Talk, the show dedicated to helping you become a better video creator so you can get more views, subscribers, and build your audience. Brought to you by vidIQ. Download for free at vidIQ.com. Oh, yes! Welcome back to another episode of Tube Talk presented by vidIQ. I am your host, Viper, the man about tech executive producer of social media here at the IQ and creator. Are you familiar with the term being a sovereign creator? Let me repeat that for the people in the back. Do you know what it means to be a sovereign creator? Don't worry. If you don't know what it means, we kind of go over it in today's podcast. In a few minutes, I'm going to be joined by a creator scientist, self-described, Mr. J. Klaus. The man puts all types of nuggets out there on Twitter. He has no newsletter. He has a podcast on YouTube called Creative Elements. And he's going to be our guest today here in a moment. And we're going to talk about being a sovereign creator, talking about not being reliant on one platform to build your business as a creator, and just how to have a more of a business mindset as a creator and things that you should be thinking about as you're trying to build your online presence and impact. But I think the whole sovereign creator idea is so important to creators because we've talked about it before on the podcast about not putting all your eggs in one basket as far as being a full-time creator and building a business as a creator. Because as we've seen, even right now with Twitter being so volatile and undergoing changes, TikTok is having new policies every day, it seems like. And with the way that these platforms are run and operated, you never know when something's going to change on the platform that limits your ability to make money. This is why you don't want to put all your eggs in one platform and don't want to put the fate of your business all on one platform because these platforms are run by people with their own agendas and ideologies. And they're not thinking about your business when they're making these changes to the platform. So why put the fate of your livelihood in someone else's hands? When you can build systems that will allow you to control your destiny, people. That's what I'm talking about. That's what we are talking about today on the podcast. Control your creator destiny. Make sure that you are putting systems in place so you control the flow of your income. So if something happens with one of these platforms and they do go down, you don't go down with the platform, okay? How many people over the past month have we seen jumping ship from Twitter? How many advertisers have jumped ship from Twitter. So if you are building a business on Twitter this past month or whatever, and you see all this stuff happening, you kind of feel a little sick, aren't you? You're like, oh, no, right? You're feeling a little sick because Twitter is not what it was a month ago before Elon brought it. But now Elon has Twitter. Things are changing. Advertising are jumping ship. People are leaving the platform. And where does that leave somebody who has used Twitter to build a business and want to sustain their business using Twitter? You're not feeling very comfortable right now. And again, this highlights to what we're going to be talking about on the podcast about building a system in place to keep you afloat if uh, one of your, your branches go down. So, you know what? I think I've talked about this enough. Let me calm down and bring Mr. J. Klaus. So, people, let's roll to the podcast. Oh, yes. Welcome back to another episode of Tube Talk presented by vidIQ. And this week's very special guest is a creator scientist. Now, I'm not sure what that is, but we're going to get to that in a minute. He just posted a tweet recently talking about how he went over 300K in his creator business this year in revenue, which is just mind-blowing. But let me introduce Jay Klaus to the podcast. Hey, Jay, how you doing, sir? 
man, the energy that you start these podcasts out on is unmatched. I was feeling like at like a six and yeah. now I'm at like a 12. So Love it. kudos. Listen, man, I appreciate you uh, spending the time to be on the podcast today so we can uh, create some value for the listeners. So thank you, sir. Appreciate you. Yeah. Happy to be here. Let's get into it. Absolutely. So my first question is, I was doing my research, uh, looking through your Twitter feed, and I checked out your podcast and different things like that. You call yourself a creator scientist. So for those who don't understand that term, what does that mean exactly? So I have this belief that the most successful creators, yes, they are creative people for sure. But the people who really break through and reach the highest heights they are so tuned into like data and what works. Like they are approaching things like a scientist. They're experimenting with different formats. They're experimenting with different approaches, with different content. They're paying attention to the results and then they're iterating on that. So both as a creator myself, I take a similar approach. Um, I like to study my work and what's going well with that. I basically frame everything as an experiment, but I'm also studying other creators as kind of meta in that way. So I look at everything that I do through the lens of experimentation and, uh, you know, looking at results, having hypotheses. It's very much a science-based approach. We think of science as like lab coats and, and chemicals and stuff, but it's <laughs> really just the study of something in our world. And I'm studying creators. Absolutely. And we talk a lot on these podcasts about studying your YouTube analytics and studying your audience and being knowledgeable in those areas. So you can use that information to grow your channel, grow your business and different things like that. So how did you get into uh, the creator space? And how did you get into being a part of YouTube and studying YouTube creators and creators of all like? Well, you know, my background is actually in startups and product management. Now happened by kind of accident because like I co-founded a company and my co-founder was really great at sales and relationships, and I basically handled all the product and all the customer communication and also, you know, building the product. So I got really attuned to building things, and then I got a product management role at a startup company. But the, pro the frustrating thing about building software products, because I'm not an engineer myself, I'm not a coder, every time I had an insight that I wanted to turn into a product that helped people... I had to shove my ideas through the lens of like a team of engineers and then some designers and then the executives and get buy-in on all that. So the end result was never quite like I envisioned, which as at the time, kind of a shadow artist, but as an artist, that was really frustrating. It was so frustrating the thing that I could see my vision, I could never quite make real. And when I realized that, okay, there's a whole world now of people who are making digital products, information products and content. And that is a product in and of itself. I started to apply that product lens to the world of creativity. And it was just so, so nice to be able to take my own vision into my hands and make stuff. And so, you know, you, you kind of go step by step and started with online courses for me, actually on LinkedIn. LinkedIn approached me to do some courses for LinkedIn learning. And I thought, well, that was cool. I could probably do that myself. I was writing an email newsletter. I was thinking about my emails as a product, started building courses started getting better at like developing my own websites for things and down the rabbit hole that I went really just got started on YouTube this year, about six months ago, but man, it's been so fun. Wish I would have done it two years ago when I started, but Hey, I'll play catch up. I'll get there soon. So speaking of what you're doing on YouTube, I think you're doing a podcast called creative elements. So talk about uh, what you're doing with that podcast. So in Creative Elements, I talk to today's top creators to dive into the behind the scenes of how their business works, you know? I kind of think about it as like how I built this for content creators. 
-hmm. Because a lot of the people that I have on the show, they're well-known people. Like episode one was Seth Godin, episode two was James Clear. So they're like really well-known people, but they're often talking about their work, their book, the thing that they're really good at. They don't often give kind of a behind the scenes of how their business runs. And when I started this, it was like, this is the life I aspire to. James Clear, teach me how to be like a full-time author. You know, how did you actually build that life for yourself? And that's what we do on Creative Elements is we talk to these high-profile creators. We just had Hayden Hillier-Smith on the show this week. We've had Cody Sanchez, Tori Dunlap, just a, a whole crew of incredible people. And it's so fun. I can't believe I get to do that like as a living. <laughs> hey, isn't it great? Like just talking to creators. It's the creators. best. I mean, we kind of have a similar thing that way because that's kind of what I get paid to do here. I talk to different creators like yourself and people that are in the space and industry are making an impact. It's a beautiful thing, man. It's lovely. It's the best. It's so fun. And, you know, I, I double dip on it because not only is it something that has built my creative platform, I learn so much. Like sometimes there'll be so much time that passes between the conversation that I have with a guest and when we actually edit and air the thing mm -hmm. that I will be in editing, listen to this guest, say something and realize, oh, I like internalized that when we had that conversation that has actually since shaped my behavior and changed the way that I approach this thing. It's just amazing. So I'm learning a ton from those guests and I hope that shines through. I think that's why people like the show because my curiosity is the natural thing that's guiding it. And if I'm curious about it, probably other creators are too. Absolutely. I mean, that's kind of similarly what I try to do with this podcast. When I bring people on here, I'm trying to get inside the creator's head and figure out, okay, how did you start? What are you seeing now that you're doing the thing? How are you going to get to where you're trying to go? And what are some of the steps that you're taking or have taken to get to where you are today? Because that's what people want to know. You can, we can go on YouTube and we can see the end product, what they present to us. But I want to know, how did you get to the end product? Like, totally. what step did you take? So I can definitely identify with you wanting that information and wanting to go behind the scenes because knowing that information is what's going to help creators that are coming behind them. Like, just seeing the end product, that's fine, that's cute, that's for the, the viewer, but we need to know what's going on behind the scenes to help you get to that point. So that's what I'm here for. So I agree with you on that one. Yeah, and also, like, what are the things you tried that didn't work? Right. You know, oftentimes, I remember I had a conversation with Vanessa Van Edwards. She's an author. She has a great website called The Science of People, where she looks at like how humans interact with one another and does a lot of actual primary research on like how we read facial cues and things like that. When I interviewed her, I wanted to talk about The Science of People. We spent the first 20 minutes talking about a business she ran for 10 years that I didn't even know existed. But that was like the foundation for her to build this new business that, you know, is a multi-million dollar business with a ton of daily traffic to her website, a ton of book sales, a ton of success on YouTube. So it's, it's wild how much we discount all the time that went up to the things that people are doing now, even if it wasn't directly related. Like she didn't say that business formed out of that. It was running that business that taught her how to do the new thing. And we expect that we can just, you know, walk in off the street and make things happen right away. We don't expect that it's going to take years of work, but it takes years of work for everybody. And it's, it's fun to kind of unearth that experience. And further to that point, we can talk about Mr. Beast, right? Because Mr. Beast is the biggest creator in the world. I think he's sitting around 113 million subscribers right now on his YouTube channel. Oh, they main one anyway. Great. But what about all the years leading up to that? Nobody knew who he was when he was trying to build up his brand and his legacy to what it is today. There's a lot of videos that Mr. B put out there that you don't know about. You probably didn't watch. You're just seeing him now and in, and in one of his final forms. And he's still getting better. So that's not to say that what he's doing today is going to be where he stopped. He's still getting better. But he's been on YouTube 10 years. But nobody saw the first nine. We just see like the yeah. last year. So it's level to this man. Definitely. Or the, uh, the Marcus Brownlee like yep. 100th video or maybe the 100 subscribers, but he's like 13. And he had right. like 100 videos and 
you know, less than 100 subscribers, I think, you can still go back and see that video. And it's just incredible that these things live on the internet as artifacts that we can go back and, and get inspired by. I constantly have to remind myself of, <laughs> of those examples. It's almost like an unburied time capsule because you can just go back and ask something like you said. Yeah. You, can see, you can see where they came from to get to where they are today. And it's, it's crazy to see the growth because a lot of creators, when they're first starting out, they're like, my video stuck, nobody's watching. But you got to keep doing it. You got to get better. I mean, look at Marquette Brownlee's first video. It's nothing like he's putting out today. Even Mr. B, look at his first video. Doesn't look anything like he's putting out today? Absolutely not. They grew, they evolved, they got better. And that's the thing that you as a new creator have to understand. You have to grow, you have to evolve, you have to get better. And there's time that you have to put in to level up. It's not going to happen overnight. But if you're willing to keep going and put in the effort to learn and get better, there's no reason why you can't achieve new heights as well. For sure. You get a little bit better at the craft so that you spend a little less time on this thing, which frees up some more time to spend on this thing. You know, you get the process down. You understand what the framework of your show looks like. So now you can actually spend a little bit time making the intro a little bit tighter or you're a little bit ahead of schedule, which means you can spend a little bit more time building a great thumbnail that works really well. It's about developing your capabilities and and getting better at it so you can reallocate your time towards making things a little bit better. But you have to have that lens. Like a lot of people talk about consistency as that's all you need. If you're just consistent, then you're good. But you have to be consistent and focused on getting better. Because if you're just consistently putting out the same stuff or worse stuff or, you know, just not good stuff without looking for how can I improve this, it doesn't matter if you're consistent. It's going to kind of stay in the void. You have to get a little bit better and that'll attract a little bit more of an audience. And it's kind of a numbers game. You know, if you stick with it and you take those steps to get better and you play the numbers game, you understand that time is in your favor if you're willing to do this for a long period of time then you'll get there. Absolutely. One day at a time, man. One day at a time. So I want to talk about the three categories of creators that you highlighted on one of your tweets uh, recently. Number one, you said you had creator educators. And number two is creator entertainers. And then number three is the creator edutainer. So talk to us about those three different classes of creators as you see them. Yeah. The word creator is just really broad, right? Like people, people use it and they mean wildly different things. And someone who identifies as a creator might talk to someone else who identifies as a creator and they're playing completely different games and they don't think that they're doing the same thing. So I was trying to make sense of this to help explain why people feel differently about this term. And kind of the conclusion that I came to is generally I'm seeing a couple of camps, we'll call them, where you have the the creator educator, as I call it. This is typically who I work with the most and try to help the most. They are working on self-improvement transformation, self-actualization in their audience, where that audience has a goal for something they're trying to accomplish. And this person is the bridge from where they are today to that person they want to be in the future. Then you have a completely different set of creators who are making videos on YouTube because they just want to like be with people, you know, like, like Mm -hmm. give them something to watch, to entertain them, to keep them company, make them feel happy, help them pass the time. They're not necessarily trying to go from A to B. That's not their aspiration. They're trying, not trying to optimize everything in their morning routine. But, you know, they want to have this person that they are building a relationship with over time. And then, of course, you know, if you think about this as a Venn diagram, there's going to be an intersection where there's a little bit of both. And obviously, like the best place in the world is to be in that middle. But it's like actually very difficult in practice to make something that's as entertaining as a Mr. Beast video, but is also helping you transform yourself on some level to a better version of yourself. So it's everyone would say like, oh, I'm, I'm doing both. But I think I think there's like a table stakes amount of entertaining you have to be even as a creator educator.
to get people to continue to pay attention and tune into what you're doing. And the business models are different on those different camps too, because a lot of the creator educators, they are basically selling products directly to their audience, products, experiences, services. On the entertainment side, the more mass appeal side, you see a lot more of like sponsorships, brand deals, maybe some direct to audience type of stuff, but it's usually like a low price membership or merchandise, just wildly different business models. And I hope at least, you know, both sides can look at the other and see some of the opportunities because all opportunities are open to all people to some degree, but it does seem like there are two distinctly different camps most of the time. Yeah. And I feel like if you are a newer creator on the platform, you really need to identify which camp you're going to be in because that will literally tailor how you create content and how you reach your audience. Because we know when you're first starting out, it's very important to identify your audience. And you can't really begin to identify your audience unless you know what type of creator you're going to be or want to be. So it's very important to like figure out what your lane is and then you can start structuring a content strategy around the lane that you choose. And also your expectations. Because I think a lot of people who identify as a creator, but what they're doing is more of a creator educator approach where they're saying, I help this specific person achieve this outcome. If they're looking at the way Mr. Beast does videos or the reach that his videos have, they're kind of setting themselves up for disappointment because it's just your audience is not going to be anybody, you know, like no matter of age, it's, it's wild, like how far reaching Mr. Beast's videos are because they're entertaining and like. You can be entertained as a 12-year-old, or you can be entertained as the parent of that 12-year-old watching these videos. But if you're, if you're helping a specific type of person achieve some specific outcome, you're naturally going to have a smaller audience, and you're going to want to have models, people that have done your approach, that you can look at and say, yeah, I think their business model more closely matches what I'm trying to do. Let me take inspiration from them. I can still take some inspiration from, from Mr. Beast. You know, How can I make my videos more highly retentive, maybe I can pull some inspiration from what Mr. Beast is doing. But really, you want to align your expectations after models that are doing more of your same approach. I am so glad that you brought this up because me working with vidIQ, I cannot tell you, Jay, how many people want to be the next Mr. Beast or be like Mr. Beast. And I'm like, no, no, (laughs) you need to figure out somebody that's a little bit more attainable. My Mr. Beast is like, he's mega, he's big. Yeah. And I'm not saying that you can't be Mr. B, but what I'm saying is that when you're first starting out, you're yeah. shooting a little too high. You, you're not you're not you're not ready for that. Yeah. So like you said, if you could temper your expectations and find a creator that's more realistically achievable to attain and model yourself after that is a much better route than trying to be the next Mr. Beast or be like Mr. Beast, because you got creators out here, Jay, as you know, that are trying to do things and they just got off of YouTube bus yesterday, but they're trying to do things like Mr. Beast. No, you can't do that. Mr. Beast, again, he's been doing it for 10 years. He has 10 years of experience on the platform. You got a day. So what worked for him is not going to necessarily work for you. And you have to understand that and temper your expectations like you said. Timing plays a huge factor too. This isn't talked about enough in the creator world. It gets talked about a lot in like the startup world, but in the creator world, holy cow, does timing play a huge factor. I forget the name of the woman who she got like millions of subscribers on YouTube in a very short period of time because she was doing like van life type stuff during like would that same channel have had that same growth trajectory three years earlier? Mm. Probably not. Not to say that it wouldn't be a good channel or it wouldn't find an audience or even get to the same size. But because she hit the moment in time where people were really trying to like reevaluate how they're living their lives, where they're where they're going about things, how they're using their finances. That timing made a lot of sense and helped a lot. 
And if you look at models and you're trying to, you know, have the same success they're having, you need to evaluate, you know, did they have some moment in time that was also helpful? A story I tell a lot, I interviewed Tim Urban on Creative Elements, my podcast. And Tim is like this legendary writer. His website is called Wait But Why. He does super long form articles and he publishes like twice a year. I don't know. Like very rarely does he publish now because his articles are like the size of books. They're like tens of thousands of words. And writers tell me all the time that they want to be like Tim Urban. They want to write these super long form things that have a ton of research and only publish when they care about it. And they want to have the same, you know, audience and reach that Tim Urban does. What they don't realize is Tim actually was wildly consistent publishing once a week for several years. And then in 2015, he was publishing his articles to Facebook when they were first starting company pages and they wanted to show that they could get reach to articles offsite so that they could actually then build their advertising program, have you pay to boost your articles. So he was the benefactor of just like pennies cheap attention on Facebook. Like he could just funnel so much money there uh, and didn't even have to in some degree because Facebook was using that as content to push. He got a huge benefit of timing. And you can't talk about his story and try to model his approach without thinking about that unfair advantage at that time. Now, there are new moments in time for new opportunities always. You know, you just have to identify what that is and play that game. I cannot agree more. Timing plays such a big role, and we definitely don't talk about it enough, but timing is crucial. And when you do your content, we talk about trend jacking a lot, and that has a lot to do with timing as well. If you do a certain type of content, maybe it performed better at a certain time of the year because it might be seasonal or maybe a, a big event happened at the time that you can kind of piggyback off of or something along those lines. But timing is definitely an integral part of content creation. So it should not be ignored. Totally. Totally. But, you know, as long as you are continuing to publish to get better, you will eventually have an insight to say, oh, there's some opportunity happening right now. Like you, you kind of tune into the zeitgeist, whether it's trend jacking or just recognizing, oh, this is a moment in time where I have this opportunity and you'll have the chance to, to seize it or let that pass and wait for another one. But, you know, I love that pretty old saying that luck is where preparation meets opportunity. And so, you know, you got to make your own luck and it comes from preparation. Yes, absolutely. I could not agree more. I definitely a firm believer in that too. You make your own luck. If you put in the work enough, your opportunity will present itself and then you'll be ready because you've already prepared for it. So absolutely. This episode of Tube Talk is brought to you by vidIQ's Trend Alerts tool. Think Google Alerts, but specifically for YouTube trends. This tool is great for planning your next video as it helps you stay on top of trending topics within your niche. Provided you have vidIQ installed on your Chrome or Firefox browser, you'll find it on the left-hand sidebar the next time you're in your YouTube studio. Once there, you can create an alert and enter keywords for it and set the parameters. So, for example, I could have a channel that covers iPhones. And I may want an alert that includes things like iPhone, iPhone 12, or even Apple event. Then I can set up my alert to email me whenever a new video hits, say, 500, 1,000, or even 10,000 views an hour. So if suddenly I get an email and see 20 new videos all talking about iPhone 27 rumors, and they're all each getting about 500 views an hour... I know that something's probably going down and I had better hit record. The Trend Alerts tool is free when you sign up with vidIQ. So visit vidIQ.com, install the extension, and start creating trend alerts today. 
I want to talk about the tweet that you've been put out about how you got to 300K, $300,000 in revenue this year in your creator business. Now, in the context of the tweet, you were talking about some of the tools that you were using to get to that point. And I heard you all, I also thought you used a, a term called sovereign creator. And I want you to explain it too, because I think that's very important for people that try to like romanticize a platform like a YouTube or a TikTok. And we've talked about before about how you really shouldn't put all your eggs in one basket and how you should own the stuff that you put out there. But give us a little, give us a breakdown of the things that you've done and what you've used to get to the 300K. Well, it's been, you know, six years, first mm-hmm. of all, you know, right. like it's, it's been five to six years of effort to get here. This year is more than a two X on last year, which was yeah. almost a two X on the year before. And then the years before that were like, you know, not a whole lot to write home about, uh, but they're important for setting the foundation. Like during those years, I was finding my voice. I was understanding who I was talking to, what I was trying to help them to do, helping creators make a living. So it's been a discovery process. And now once things are starting to work, they really play together nicely. You know, like I think Einstein said that compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. Compound attention works a lot like compound interest in money, like things compound and incredible things happen from a numbers perspective. One major thing I did this year, though, is I launched a membership community uh, called The Lab. It's a membership community for creators, and that's been more than at this point. Yeah, it's right right on the on the cusp. About 50% of my revenue this year. So of that 300 plus that'll come in this year, half of that will be from the membership. And that was a new product that I launched in March. Now it's been a huge amount of my time. And the other, you know, 50% of my revenue comes from sponsorship on the podcast, in my newsletter, eventually on YouTube. It comes from affiliate revenue with some of the affiliate partners I have. I have some royalty revenue that comes from LinkedIn. I still have some service-based revenue where I'll do like one-off coaching from people who click the link in my email newsletter. So I'm pretty diversified and that's by intention because to your point, I didn't want to be dependent on any third-party platform that could change its rules or go away. Twitter has been pretty big for me this year. I would say that probably half of the members that I've gotten into the membership this year found me or were convinced to join because of Twitter. Mm-hmm. So with all the stuff that's going on with Twitter right now, there's a lot of hype and polarized opinions about it. Yep. The platform's changing. If things boiled over and people just, you know, said, nah, we're done on Twitter and my reach, you know, crumbled, I would take a hit, but my business wouldn't be gone. I wouldn't be unable to live on what I'm doing. Like I would be fine because Anybody that I reach on Twitter, I'm trying to move into my my email newsletter ecosystem or my membership or listen to my podcast. These are platforms that I own that distribution system, that ability to reach my audience when they say, I want to hear from Jay and email. As long as they continue to stay subscribed, like if I press send on an email, it's going to their inbox. You know, they can choose to open it or not, but it's going to their inbox. On social media or even on YouTube, you put something out there it's not guaranteed that those people are going to see it, even if they click follow. You know, when I, when I tweet something, are 22,000 people seeing that tweet? No. Having 22,000 followers doesn't necessarily matter. In email, that's not, that's not as true. So I, I try to encourage creators to build systems where they do own their distribution system when any third-party platform, if you're huge on Instagram or uh, YouTube to some degree, If that went away, what would happen to your business? And if that's a really scary, dangerous answer, I would encourage you to take some steps to diversify yourself to protect against that situation because 
they might not go away, but if they change the rules or suddenly for whatever reason, your content isn't reaching your audience the way it used to, that can be a really tough situation to find yourself in. Absolutely. And it isn't scary thought. And a lot more creators should be scared at the possibility of the platform changing. Again, uh, like you said, there have been a lot of upheaval and, and uncertainty about Twitter and Elon Musk taking over Twitter. And what did that do for the platform? I cannot tell you, Jay, how many complaints I've heard about people getting their content taken down on TikTok because of one way or another and TikTok not mm. being transparent about why they're doing what they're doing. And obviously, we've seen the issues that people have had with YouTube and copyright and stuff like that. So, yeah, when you don't own the platform, you are at the mercy of the people that run the platform, the executives and the people that make the rules because it's not your platform. As my friend Roberto Blake, I can say you are operating on rented land and it's not your land. So you got to protect yourself against that. And like Jay said, this is why you want to build your own systems that you have 100% complete control over. So if something does happen to these other platforms, it might be a minor hit to you, but it won't completely knock you out of the whack because you, you have it situated. I'm also an advocate for going down the route of having some of your own products because, you know, if you are a YouTuber and all of your income is coming from sponsorship or brand deals, I remember in March of 2020, when I launched my podcast, we had sponsors lined up from the launch of my podcast, but we launched in March of 2020. And when that happened, they all pulled out because it became a wait and see situation because of a funny little thing called COVID that rolled through and nobody understood what was going on advertisers pulled back on the spend. We we're starting to see some of that uh, a couple months ago as well. So when you have your own revenue model, that's not dependent on the budgets of tech companies and things like that. That's really helpful as well. I'm not saying that you don't leverage these platforms. You don't leverage these opportunities. I'm saying find ways so that those things aren't paying your bills <laughs> into perpetuity. You know, you want to find something that you can depend on to be good for you. The membership, the lab that I talked about, that's an annual recurring membership. So if that's generating north of $150,000 per year with that membership, all I have to do is make sure that those customers, those members are having a really good worthwhile experience and they'll renew and I can live on that. Like I know that that would support me and my family and I am safe from any tech billionaire buying some platform or uh -huh. any government intervention saying, you know what, we're worried about security with TikTok. Any of that stuff could go away and I'm okay. You know, it's, it's kind of like with any of these third-party platforms, huge opportunity, but recognize it's a window that closes both in like how quickly you can grow and even the ability to reach people there because there's always going to be more competition. So if you look at it as a closing window, the question is, how do I capture as much value as I can while the window is open? How do I get people into an ecosystem that I have a little bit more control over? So if that window does in fact close, I'm not dependent on it being open. Wise word, man. Wise word. So that is a nice segue into a uh, nice segue into another set of tweets that you put out recently about how to make a living as a creator. And you put down five ideas that people can have to make a living as a creator. Uh, number one, provide valuable free content. Number two, useful lead magnet. So being being able to uh, uh, have leads and things like that. Three, signature paid product, which you've been alluded to throughout the podcast. Four, a low price initial offer. So I guess that I means get people in the door. So that's pretty cool. And last one was content improvement. So go into that a little bit more for us about the way that people can make a living as a creator. So I think about those things as like ingredients, basically, that you, you mix together and you, you get out the pie <laughs> <laughs> that you want, uh, which is making a living as a creator. When you're new to this, there are so many conflicting opinions, so much information, so hard to know what to focus on. And so I was just trying to simplify the business model a little bit. 
on the the useful free content front, you need to capture attention somehow so people can know that you're putting work out there that can help them, that they can follow along. And once they are following along, now what? They need to continue to hear from you and learn from you. So I think any creator needs to be producing some amount of free content that's the discovery mechanism for people to find you as a creator. Once they find you, you want to do this diversification I'm talking about of getting people onto an email list, in my opinion. I mean, there, there is a case we made for like SMS as well, if you would rather do that, but some area where you have control over the distribution. And to me, the best way to do that is take these people who are now paying attention to you and say, hey, I've created this great free resource over here that I know you're going to get a lot of value out of. The trade for that is your email address or your phone number, whatever form of communication you want to capture that's direct to them that doesn't require a third party intermediary. So that's the free lead magnet, some free resource that you know these people will value highly, get a good experience out of and are willing to trade their direct contact information for. Then I say, a signature product. A lot of people will build like a whole bunch of products or think they need a whole bunch of products, but you really, you really need one product, one good product that helps a specific person achieve some specific outcome or get some specific benefit. And I would focus on making one signature product and improving that over time and just focusing on that. A great example of this is even James Clear to a degree. I'll, I'll start there. The only product he sold for a very, very long time was uh, his book. (laughs) Like that was the only way that you could actually pay James for all of the benefit he was giving you with his weekly newsletter. Another example would be like Tiago Forte. He has been doing Build a Second Brain, that cohort-based course, for years. He's, He's had like almost 20 iterations of this thing, making it better and better and better. He wasn't worried about making a whole bunch of courses. It was, let me make this one product great so that other people refer it. And it's just a standout experience, one signature product. Now, if you are like a Tiago Forte and you have this product that's $1,000 or more, even hundreds of dollars, a signature product, that can be a big investment for somebody coming to you new. So the initial offer that I recommend after you have the signature product is something that is a little more accessible. The price is lower, but it gets people to understand that they can trust when they invest with you, they have an awesome outcome. It makes it more likely that they will then enroll in whatever product or experience or service is your signature product. And by the way, your signature product could be just like one-on-one consultations, you know, like it could be, Hey, hire me as a consultant to come help grow your channel. That's a X dollar investment, still a big leap, but maybe before we get there, it's okay. Here is a $20 ebook on all the checklists that I give my clients to run through to make their channel better. You get that, you see growth, you say, okay, now I trust this person to invest with them. And then lastly, what was the last point on that list? Oh, improvement. This is what I was talking about earlier. It's not enough to be consistent. You have to continuously get better. Whatever free content you're making to gather attention, the better and better you make that, the faster you'll get more attention. Those people will be interested in one of your offers. Now everybody's winning. Ooh, speaking of winning, uh, that leads me to some other good like. If you are not following Jay Klaus on Twitter, you need to follow him because he has a lot of hot fire gems on Twitter. And that leads me into another one that he posted. And he was talking about how to win big as a creator. And he just talked about winning as a creator. But he posted a thread about winning big as a creator. He was talking about first you have to design your creator moat. And your creator moat is your message, your online presence, your authority, and your trusted distribution. Obviously, we've been talking about distribution a lot on the podcast. I think he means that 
oh, and he can explain it better because he's here, but I think he means just being able to control the output of your content and not being relying on other areas and third-party companies and different things like that. But message, online presence, authority, trusted distribution. Jay, can you tell us a little bit more about this? Yeah, similar vein to what I was talking about, and there's, there's a lot of overlap here. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a lot of issue with people who get started as a creator is they look at other creators and they say, I want to have that life but they aren't really sure how to get there and they might not even have like a ton of experience yet. So, you know, the question is why are people paying attention to you? Like, why would they pay attention to you? Honest question worth interrogating yourself and saying, why would people tune into my content? What makes it worthwhile? And so to me, that starts with your message or your point of view, something that's unique about how you view the world that other people will hear and say, yes, Yes, I agree with that. I'm glad somebody finally said that. That's how I feel as well. That's your message. Online presence, I think, is pretty self-explanatory. If you don't have an online presence, if you don't exist online, I don't think you really exist. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I, I think it's it's simple enough to spin up a profile on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube or whatever. But I would recommend you have like a dedicated website. I would recommend that you have an email account that's based on the URL of your website. You know, people will take you more seriously if your email is j at jklaus.com than they will if it's jklaus81 at gmail.com. It shows that you're taking this more seriously, so we will take you more seriously. Mm. You want your online presence to back up this message that you're putting out into the world. Now, that message, this online presence is good, but We need to know why you are somebody that we should trust. And that comes from authority. Why are you the person, the right person to have this perspective, to be who I listen to, to help me go from A to B? Showcase your authority and don't be uh, super humble about it in your online profile. You know, it's one thing to come on a podcast and be a little bit humble because you're asked directly. But if you're putting up a digital billboard for yourself, which is basically your, your website, People want to see some level of social proof to understand why should I take you seriously? And you need to lean into the things that are the best answer to that question. Lean into the accomplishments that you've had, the accolades you've been given, so that you can demonstrate your authority as the right person to share this message. And then lastly, trusted distribution. It's what I've been talking about, you know, all along here, which is you want to have some way of communicating with your audience that you know can't be taken away from you. And to me, that is email, maybe SMS, maybe a private community, maybe a podcast. Those things are a lot more in your control than having a third-party intermediary. So once creators have this moat set up, then that leads them into digging it deeper. And some of the things you mentioned are having a discovery engine, income engine, and a growth engine. So can you dive in a little bit more into those? Yeah. So if you if you play the moat motif forward, you know, I'm kind of calling out to like medieval times when like literally people would build a moat around their castle. That's like a ditch that they fill with water because they know it's difficult to attack the castle when you have to go through a deep trench of water to get there. So in business terms, we talk about your moat a lot also to say, what is your competitive advantage or what is your defensible? What is the way you're going to defend this business that you build? So that mode I just laid out, your message, your online presence, your authority, your trusted distribution, that is the thing of value that you are protecting. And to make that even you know, stronger, then you, you do these things, which I call digging your mode, D-I-G. D stands for discovery platform. 
you know, have your trusted distribution platform, your newsletter. That's great. That's a great way of communicating. How do you get more people to sign up for that? How do people discover this message that you have? To me, discovery platforms are social media, search engines, collaborations with other creators, you know, finding some way that people are discovering you for the first time. Mm -hmm. Then you have your income engine. We haven't talked about what you're selling yet. You know, what is the thing that you're doing to create revenue for your business? Like I said, you don't have to sell directly. There are non-product-based revenue routes like advertising and sponsorship or affiliate revenue. Then G, your growth engine. Once all these systems are working, which all of this is in concert, how do you actually grow the business? And to me, like, there's only a few growth levers that you need. I kind of talked about some of them, but paid acquisition is a growth lever. A lot of people will say, I've never spent a dollar on marketing in my life. But if you know that your average email subscriber is worth $3 to you, because you have this system where somebody subscribes and on average, 3% will pay a dollar, then you can look at the math and say, okay, if every email subscriber is worth $3 to me, I could afford to pay $2.99 to get a new email subscriber and that will net out in a positive direction for me. That's just smart business. If you understand that your cost to acquire a customer is lower than the value of that customer, then you should do that. And so that's one growth lever. Sharing and virality is another. You know, how do you engineer your work to be very shareable, to be more viral? That'll get in front of more people. It'll really like amplify your discovery. Yeah. So there, there are a few growth strategies, but to me, that's like the last thing on my list. First thing I'm trying to do is get this moat in place, understand how the system works to a small degree. And then I pour more gas on the fire and say, let's, let's really turn this up now. Absolutely. So we've been talking all podcast long about how you build your business and how you as a creator should go about building a business, building your, your online presence and different things like that. Let's take this from a perspective of a brand new creator just coming in and they want to build a business. You had another Twitter thread about a vibe for new creators that you listed uh, seven things for this particular thread. Uh, number one, double down on one social platform. Actually, no, let's just take these one at a time. So let's start with that one. Double down on one social platform. I agree, but tell us a little bit more about how you feel about that. So social platforms are what I would call these discovery platforms. It's, mm-hmm. it's the window that's always closing, but it's a big opportunity in front of you. All these platforms are a little bit more mature right now. You know, there's not one brand new platform that's taken off like crazy. That's minting new millionaires. TikTok might be the closest, you know, maybe, maybe YouTube shorts, if you consider that social, but to succeed on any of these platforms, because they have gotten more competitive, you need to really be a student of these platforms. You know, it kind of comes back to like the scientist angle that I'm taking here. You need to be a student of these platforms. So imagine you're going to a semester at college and you can choose to enroll in five classes or one class. And the expectation is you need to get an A in every class that you take. Would you rather take one class and try to get an A or try to get an A in five classes at the same time? That's what it's like if you're trying to succeed on all these social platforms at the same time. It's just going to be way, way harder. Not impossible, but way, way harder. So why even do that? Because once you do really well at one social platform, it's going to be a lot easier to leverage that into joining another one and starting to build an audience there. Yep, I agree. A lot of creators, they try to spread themselves thin when they first start out. And like you, I agree. You need to learn how the platform works. And you can't really learn how the platforms work if you're spreading yourself thin across multiple platforms. So like Jay said, just concentrate on one platform, figure out how that operates and how you can grow 
And then, like you said, you can use that growth from that platform. Then you can start thinking about expanding to other platforms once you figure out how the one platform that you're on works. Uh, number two, create a content backlog. I think this is pretty much self-explanatory. I'm going to assume that you're just talking about having content out there, right? Yeah. Like when you talk about consistency in the world of creators, it's consistently publishing, consistently showing up. And to do that, like you have to create a lot of stuff. But you could actually batch these activities into two separate exercises. Like you could spend a day writing two weeks worth of tweets and then schedule them out to be once per day for two weeks. It removes a lot of pressure on you if you already have content that's going to go out at your upcoming deadline. So you're not worried about the deadline. You're worried about what's interesting to me right now. Where am I inspired to create? Yeah, I I can definitely accept the scheduling content out and doing it at one point in time and making it easier across the up and coming days and weeks ahead. Definitely legit. Number three, start a YouTube channel, which is near to our heart. But I will tell you all right now that even with all the platforms out there today, the TikTok, the Twitter, the Facebook, the Instagram, whatever, YouTube is still probably the best platform for growth as a creator. Tell us a little bit how you feel about YouTube, Jay. All right. So there's a YouTuber named Jeremy Mary that I met a couple months ago. He has a channel called Backstage Careers, and it's an interview show, much like my show. I interview creators, and that's awesome. His most successful interview has 174,000 views on it, which is a huge factor of his other interviews. That's incredible. That opportunity for breakout success for one of your pieces of content exists uniquely on YouTube, in my opinion. And the other great thing about YouTube is that video, it could have like been not that successful at launch and then six months later suddenly take off because the, the algorithm is always going to work and trying to find the audience to put it in front of. Again, that does not exist elsewhere. There's no episode in my podcast, my audio backlog that I would expect to just grow like wildfire out of nowhere. That would be wildly unexpected. But I do expect that as I'm posting to YouTube, some videos will suddenly take on like a second life later. That's just a huge benefit. Not only that, but that the analytics in YouTube are so helpful and telling to help you understand how to get better and how to reach more people. Mm -hmm. That level of insight doesn't exist on other platforms either. So I do believe that YouTube is actually one of the easier platforms to grow and be successful in. And the content you create and publish there has a much longer shelf life. I was just going to bring that up. When you post content on YouTube, it literally exists into perpetuity. So it can exist for as long as the platform is up and running. So that's why I think a lot of advertisers like doing brand deals for creators on YouTube because their their content's not going to just disappear. If you do a brand deal on like a TikTok, that TikTok is gone. I mean, you can gone. find it, but there's no discoverability for that type of content on the platform. Where for YouTube, go on there, you search a, a brand, a product, whatever, boom, video from like four or five, six years pops right up. So. YouTube is definitely an amazing place to have your content for sure. I want to double down this just a second more, if you don't mind. Sure. In most of the business world, entrepreneurs are driven by this desire to like, I build an asset and that asset generates value for me ongoing. You know, they buy a commercial real estate building and sure, you got to keep the tenants happy. But like really what's happening is you have purchased an asset, that asset is generating value and it does that when you're sleeping. But creators, creators are entrepreneurs or at least should think of themselves that way. And a lot of them don't. And we don't think about like, what is the asset I'm creating that's going to continue to generate value when I'm not at the keyboard or I'm not in front of the camera. 
we almost feel like we have to continuously be making things in order for the business to continue to thrive. And that's not the approach that most entrepreneurs take. So YouTube, I find, is different in that it helps you create that asset, that asset being the library of videos that you're putting together. And that's not true for your TikTok back catalog. Like, it, it just isn't. Not at all. So the next one we're kind of going to kind of keep up with what we've been talking about throughout the entire podcast. And that's focused on one or two products. We've already talked about that. So you, you can go back and listen to the previous parts of this podcast. We're going to skip to learning SEO, which is search engine optimization. So tell us how you feel about SEO, Jay. You know, there's a creator on YouTube named Miles Beckler. If you're interested in learning SEO, check out Miles. He has a whole playlist on it. He gives you enough to be dangerous so you can understand what keywords can I compete on realistically? How do I prepare myself to be competitive? And how do I create that content so that it's likely to rank? I watched three of Miles' videos and that was all I needed to learn enough SEO to be dangerous and understand that if I'm going to put the effort in into writing an article for the purpose of search traffic, I feel confident that that effort is worthwhile because I know based on my research that this should work for me. SEO is an incredibly powerful discovery channel. You know, it's kind of second nature to YouTube because YouTube is the second biggest search engine on the world, mm -hmm. uh, owned by the first largest search engine on the world. And I don't hear a lot of YouTubers talking about SEO as a strategy. It's a lot more of like the browse features and the way it's recommended, I should say. But you can lean into SEO on YouTube as well. Again, like with this, this lens of what if my business as a creator was a machine that was working even when I'm not in front of the camera, when you embrace and are the benefactor of SEO, that's a beautiful machine and it could change, you know, algorithm updates could happen, but that can be so effective to consistently get your content in front of a new audience after you've clicked publish and worry about it very little afterwards. Amazing, man. Just absolutely amazing. The next advice that you have is to run concerted affiliate campaigns. And we talked about that a little bit, but obviously when you were talking about affiliate stuff, you're talking about doing content center around products and services that you can make a commission off of. Uh, the biggest example for most creators, I think, is Amazon. You can sign up to be an Amazon associate. You mentioned an Amazon product or service in your video. You get a cut of that commission via the Amazon associate program. So affiliate marketing, definitely something that most new creators should look into. Yeah, hell, even established creators. But I think... When most new creators are thinking about starting out and they want to monetize their channel and they're talking about 1,000 subscribers and 4,000 hours of watch time, eh, pump the brakes. The easier thing to do is to go for that affiliate marketing because it's a lot easier to use that to get your foot into the door. 100%. I see a lot of, especially like tech reviewer YouTubers doing this really effectively because yep. they'll, they'll share these products and the commission on a higher priced item is obviously going to be a little bit higher. In my business, I have a couple of affiliate partners that have been really good to me, uh, namely ConvertKit and Circle, the platform I use to host my membership. And every month I'll receive, you know, one to $2,000 in affiliate revenue right now, predominantly from those two partners. And it got me thinking, why am I not being more explicit about sharing this? Like, instead of just hoping people stumble upon my links or mentioning it just here and there passively, there's probably a good argument to be made that once a year, a couple times per year, I construct an entire campaign where maybe I have like a webinar showing how I use ConvertKit and that's a free thing and say, by the way, if you enjoyed this and you got a lot out of it, I recommend you sign up for ConvertKit and here's my link for doing that. A lot of software companies like those will offer ongoing affiliate revenue as long as a customer continues. So, you know, if, if somebody starts a subscription with Circle because of me, I get 30% of their payment to Circle every month for the duration of their being a customer. And that's great because again, that's like 
just income on autopilot as long as they continue to have a good experience. And it's worth doing that because that is not just immediate revenue. It's long-term, maybe even, you know, compounding revenue. Yeah. Revenue into perpetuity, like passive income. That's literally what we're talking about. We're talking about passive income and passive income is a beautiful thing. Your money working for you. And even when you're sleeping, you're making money with passive income. It is lovely. And the last one, I'm a little bit confused about, I hope you can explain it to me, but the last one you have is play a multiplayer game. Did I copy this wrong or is this right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> okay. Um, it's easy as a creator to get really in your own head and obsessed with just the stuff that you're making. And then you put it out to the world and you hope that like it works and that your audience loves it. Mm -hmm. But when you start thinking more about collaboration with other creators and how you can support each other, it just helps a whole, whole lot because there are other people that are trying to do the same thing. We see this naturally with purchasing decisions. Like when we want to buy a product or even go to a restaurant, we look for reviews. We want to hear a third party perspective saying, yeah, this place was awesome because of course that establishment or that product is going to say, our thing is the best. It's similar as a creator, like you're constantly trying to sell yourself. And of course you think that your work is the best or your product is the best. But if somebody else says that your thing is the best, that carries more weight. So it really is beneficial to work with other people, find people whose work you respect and you want to recommend. Because often you can be a more effective advocate for them than they can be for themselves and vice versa. Yeah. Collaboration, I think, uh, it's kind of underrated. And especially among newer creators, a lot of times they feel like they can't collaborate because they don't have the recognition subscriber count or their cloud or whatever. But I have told you all on many occasions, it's not about that. It's about being able to provide value to your fellow creators. And if you can do that, then you will find there is a much easier path to collaboration if you approach it correctly. So collaboration, definitely a good look as a creator, especially a new creator, if you're willing to do that and uh, be involved and get involved with the community. Because again, it's not about just doing stuff by yourself and in your little cave. You have to be out there supporting the creator community because why would someone want to collab with you if you're just in your own cave not supporting? I mean, it's a two-way go. It's a two-way thing. You just can't have it one way. So definitely, uh, yeah, don't be afraid to show your faith in the creator community. Jay Klaus, it's been amazing to have you on the podcast, my dude. There, you got so much stuff going on, but if the people want to rock with you, where, what is the best place or where is the best place to rock with you? Probably check out the video podcast on here on YouTube. It's called Creative Elements. Yeah, you can find that pretty easily by just searching Creative Elements. If you want to find me outside of that, I'm most active on Twitter at jklaus. Or if you want to subscribe to the newsletter, which I recommend that you do, go to creatorscience.com. There you go, you all. Definitely go follow Jay. Like I said, if you follow him on Twitter, I guarantee you, you're going to have value within the first five minutes of looking at the Twitter feed. The dude is legit. But I appreciate you guys listening. I appreciate Jay making the time for the podcast. So thank you again. And your boy Viper will be back next week with another episode of Tube Talk presented by VidIQ. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Tube Talk brought to you by VidIQ. Head over to vidiq.com slash tube talk for today's show notes and previous episodes. Enjoy the rest of your video making day.